Oh, come on. I see a fantastic beard. In, I see it in the shadows. I love the beard. Yeah. Okay. So make us laugh so that we can, we can make fun of ourselves in front of people. Well, even, <laughs> even with the hood off, it doesn't work very well. So. No, it does. No. Then you see like the enhanced, the shape of the beard comes out. Yeah. No, it's good. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No. See, that's exactly it. Little Red Riding Beard. I. That's. I heard. That's a legit pirate name. Ah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. It, yeah. Right. Well, let's let's go ahead and uh, put this live. Let's do it live. All right. Okay. This is Thinker, and this is uh, th this is the first official live version of Ten Questions podcast. I would claim if you were watching my hour with uh, Rando earlier, it was a bit of a train wreck. Maybe you couldn't take your eyes off said train wreck, but uh, it, but this will this will go so much better because Katie, I'm sure you've had sleep. And this will be the first time I've talked to you, so I'm not coming up with random questions to get random answers from. Um, you know, I, I, I look forward to it, but I make you a bet. Nobody can hear us right now. No one can hear us. Amazing. Um, here, now I make you a bet people can hear us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wasn't even looking at Twitter to see if anyone was, like, tweeting at us so they can't test, hear us. Test, test, test. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, now we can be heard. It helps if I actually uh, t turn on the to turn on the proper uh, audio output as well. So, I would just like to introduce my co-presenter here. This is Scappy. Oops, Scappy the cat, and he will be <laughs> presenting on. Um, well, hopefully, he will not present his his one and only most popular presentation, which is turning his rear end to the camera right ah, very up close ah, yeah. so hopefully the camera is is high enough that he cannot pull that particular cameo that he likes to pull during meetings <laughs> <laughs> nice nice yeah yeah you're you actually let your cat anywhere near where your computer is i do not let the cats in that part of the house at all for me well, he's 15, so he go he does what he wants. He goes where he wants. He does what he wants. He's he's the old man of the house. Gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. Okay, all right. So uh, so uh, I, I I trust that even if you uh, haven't listened to any old episodes yet, you uh, at least have a general idea of how this works. Hey, heck, it's in the name. There's 10 questions. May or may not be some uh, follow-ups depending on if I hear a good story and I want to know more. Um, but uh, we'll go through 10 questions, and whenever we're done with 10, then we're done. All right. Sounds great. All right. So um, so question number one, um, it, it really dives into uh, what it seems like uh, people turn to your name first, at least in circles around Twitter, for is whenever somebody brings up bug bounty. Um, you know, it's it, that uh, every time somebody says bug bounty, inevitably I see your name throwing it in, in there, uh, first and foremost, every time. Um, so, uh, where, what, what was the first full fledged uh, bug bounty program that, that you actually were responsible for setting up? Uh, that would be Microsoft's very first bug bounty program in 2013, and that was when I was a security strategist at Microsoft, and um. You know, at that point in time, there were there were 
very, very few major corporations who were offering bug bounties. It had been um, nothing new under the bug bounty sun since, you know, the Netscape Mozilla bug bounty from the mid 90s mm -hmm. up until 2010 when Google launched their very first bug bounty. Um, and it took until 2013 for me to, to figure out a way to create a bug bounty for a company that was already receiving free bug reports to the tune of uh, about 200,000 non-spam email messages a year to secure wow. at Microsoft. So yeah, so Google you know, was looking to attract more eyeballs and Microsoft was like, yeah, but can we focus the eyeballs we already have? And so a lot of the, the you know, the work that I did to prepare Microsoft was around looking at the data of the vulnerabilities we were already getting and then figuring out really clever ways to, um, you know, encourage researchers to report issues on, let's say, the latest versions in particular or the beta versions um, to do it earlier in the beta, um, you know, the beta time period because back when people were reporting all of the bugs for free to Microsoft, they were holding on to their bug reports during the beta and they were hardly any of them were coming in during the beta period um, of let's say Internet Explorer. And that was a big problem and we figured out why. It was because without any money as a form of recognition, um, the only form of recognition they could hope for is their name in a Microsoft bulletin. And so if you fixed it in beta and it only affected the beta version and no earlier versions of, of the product, mm -hmm. you wouldn't get your name in a bulletin. So we had unfortunately created the wrong incentive and bug bounties, the way that I created them at Microsoft in 2013, were part of the ways to help redirect those friendly eyeballs to places that would be mutually beneficial to Microsoft and the customers and all that stuff. So that was it, 2013. All right, all right. Um, and I, I guess really even uh, you know, diving past that story of the first one, um, you know, I, I know everybody has uh, has that one thing that they're just uh, that they're extra passionate about. That it's just it's just something that drives them. And it sounds like uh, programs like this is a big driver uh, for you. Uh, what what was it about it that really that, that really got your attention to it that and really got you wanting to do this personally? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I my career has spanned over 20 years professionally in security specifically, right? So I was a professional penetration tester myself for about seven years, and um, I would run into issues where I would be threatened, I would be yelled at um, for trying to report a security vulnerability. So for me, um, you know, primary goal is keep keep me and my friends out of jail. Mm -hmm. And secondary goal is make sure we get paid for our work. Um, so I think, you know, that that central theme of my work over the last 20 years where I've started vulnerability research programs, I started Symantec Vulnerability Research. Um, think of it much like Google Project Zero, um, where we were looking for vulnerabilities in third party products, right, and reporting them um, to try and get them fixed. I started Microsoft Vulnerability Research. And again, we were looking at vulnerabilities in third party products and getting them fixed and actually publishing advisories, you know, for Microsoft customers to, to warn them about third-party vulnerabilities that our research team had found in, in other products. So um, just a passion for making sure that, that, that bugs that are found get fixed and that the people who find them are not only uh, kept out of jail, but uh, compensated for their work. Um, okay, so I, I know uh, one thing that comes up whenever talk, you know, talking about uh, bug bounty programs, uh, you know, and other high-level stuff that you've been involved with, uh, it comes up with uh, your work with the DOD, and obviously, you know, there's there's NDAs and stuff. So I'm not 
asking NDA related things here, but what, what even uh, what, what even led to getting connected with working with the DOD in the first place? Well, that's that's a great question. I was asked to give a guest lecture to um, a group of graduate students in um, there. There was a there's a a talk consortium that is run between MIT Sloan School and Harvard Kennedy School. And I was as an, as an invited speaker to talk about the Microsoft bug bounty programs, talk about the game theory, economic theory, and all of the thinking that went into creating those programs for you know, the biggest software company in the world. And I gave that presentation to that small audience and who was in that audience, but my now good friend, Michael Sulmeyer, um, who at the time, he was the uh, director for cybersecurity policy for the office of the secretary of defense. So he, he invited me to brief the Pentagon the first time when I was still at Microsoft. And then subsequently, all of the times that I would be in DC, I would stop by the Pentagon or stop by and, and meet with those folks um, and became sort of an advisor on the back end to help answer a lot of questions of if we were to open our front door and welcome hackers to report security bugs to the DOD, what would that look like? And so the progression of that, you know, ended up where, um, you know, Lisa Wiswell, who uh, had taken over Michael Sulmeyer's job, and really she was the one inside the Pentagon who pushed that boulder up the hill inside the Pentagon, um, along with Charlie Snyder, who is who, um, you know, also held that job at one point in time inside the Pentagon. But those two key personnel in the Pentagon were the champions. And then I was an advisor to them. Um, they called me up when it was time and they basically said, we want to start a bug bounty. And I said, whoa, 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 what about a bone disclosure program first? What have we been talking about here? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're, we, we got to do a bug bounty because, you know, essentially the Secretary of Defense at the time, um, this was early 2016, he was planning on, res, you know, retiring no matter who was elected. So it wasn't related to, to any of that. But, you know, he had started uh, Defense Digital and um, this was inside the Pentagon. And the mission of Defense Digital was to bring, um, you know, uh, outside um, expertise and also best practices into the Pentagon much more rapidly than they had been before. And so this was sort of seen as a, as a way to not just embrace phone disclosure, but embrace that second piece, which is um, not only will we, will we not throw you in jail, but we'll also pay you. So, you know, even though it was a little bit for me, cart before horse, you know, mm -hmm. you get the process steady before you start offering cash. Um, we did it as a pilot. So it was constrained um, to about 21 days or so. So 20 days, 21 days. And it was very, very successful. You know, bugs were uncovered, bugs were fixed, bounties were paid, nobody was arrested. It was fantastic. It worked out great. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was essentially how how it happened. Um, but yeah, they, they had um, no previous vulnerability disclosure program before Hack the Pentagon, which was the first bug bounty program of the DOD. And that was really an inflection point. I think a lot of organizations, and a lot of governments could picture themselves doing it, um, especially getting over that hump of, I guess, maybe a little bit of embarrassment of saying, actually, we need help from hackers, mm -hmm. right? And I think that was powerful that it came from the DOD for as as the very first, you know, major government uh, bug bounty. Yeah, and and whenever you think about it, I mean, DOD is pro is uh, you know one of the one of the uh, sections of government that's famous for regularly bringing in outside contractors on things anyway, except it's outside contractor mercenaries basically. So why why not bring you know bring 
outside people in in some form or fashion to help look at other things too and and help fix other things it it only makes sense really uh, it's, it's it's an extension of just overall approach um so and 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 i've got to say too the probably one of the most one of the most uh wonderful pictures that i've seen uh, of you is that picture of you in the room with the all with all these uh dod and other government types and just everybody just stiff washington shirts and then you and they, you and there with, with the pink hair and i'm like right that pink hair wonderful. don't care right that, that's <laughs> wonderful I, I i love seeing that picture it just uh, you know, it, you know, everybody knew it was you. Ever, and uh, but but it didn't matter that it was pink hair. I mean, you are you, you're smart. You know what you're doing. Um, you know, and and you were the right person to be there. So it's yeah, great. no, it's a picture. I I I love that picture because it's you know it really does sum up a lot of my work. And um, my brother is a um, firefighter and paramedic um, in Massachusetts. And he was like, what do you do again? And I sent him that picture and he's like, ah, oh, I get it now. Okay, cool, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I'm like, my brother gets it, like awesome. Who go. is an actual hero, right? Firefighter and paramedic, especially now. Yep. Um, okay, so, uh, so, so jumping away from the, uh, from the uh, bug bounty talk, uh, what what even got you doing uh, doing uh, penetration testing in the first place? Oh, hacking stuff. Yes. Um, well, uh, like like I think a lot of hackers, um, we grew up fortunate enough to have um, you know some kind of electronics or computer to play with. Um, I am of the generation. I'm 45 years old. I don't know if you can tell my pink-haired oh. old ladiness, but um, but yeah, I was uh, I, I got a Commodore 64 from my mom when I was eight years old, and um, you know I thought it was like an Atari, like you play Pac-Man or something on it. It came with Pac-Man, and I asked her for another game, and my mom was a single mom, underpaid her entire life, and uh, she's like, I scraped together what I had, so you know she literally handed me the basic programming book that came with the um the commodore and so i got is this channel okay to swear in yeah, yeah that's right fine that's here? fine so i basically got to read the fucking manual rtfm from my own mother and and she uh and she she's she gave me this basic programming book so i taught myself from that book how to program and um from there it was just figuring out how computers work was just part of using computers back then because mm -hmm. Computers did not work, you know, as intuitively as they do today. And all you had was command lines. So you basically had to kind of be a little bit of a mechanic to drive that car. So that was the origins of, you know, how I learned about computers and programming and how computers worked. And then I was, um, fast forward to first year of high school, um, a friend of mine had a modem and he showed me uh, there was this bulletin board system with a bunch of other little nerds on it and everything. And it was actually uh, the same BBS that a lot of the early hacking groups, uh, the Cult of the Dead Cow and the Loft and those folks, because I grew up in Boston, um, a lot of them were on this BBS. So we'd meet and talk about hacking and then we'd have physical meetups that then morphed into the local 2600 meetups, you know, the hacker meetups on the first Friday of the month. So basically I just grew up with, you know, uh, a hacking spoon in my mouth, I guess. That's kind of a weird way to put it, but. Oh no, that makes sense, that makes sense. It's, it's a very common origin story of hackers of my generation, so. Yeah, you know. yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, because I my my first computer was a uh, was a uh, uh, three eighty six uh, PC with DOS three point five on it. Uh, mm -hmm. But but heck, the DOS manual that came with it that's that, that's where I first picked it up, and it's, and the only difference is I just had a million and one things that were distracting me, and then when so whenever Windows uh, was put on that computer, I forgot about it for a while. <laughs> Um, but it's, but but the moment I came back to it, uh, you know that's that, that's where I ended up uh, ended up uh, diving into Linux because hey, there was a more full fledged uh, ability to use command line and really able to do something there and yeah. Oh um, yeah, I mean I I took a detour like career wise. I didn't study computer science in college. I studied molecular biology and mathematics, and I was working on the human genome project at MIT in the bioinformatics group. And we were basically like early data scientists. So this is circa 1994. We're, you know, installing Slackware from like a 1.0, you know, from a million different floppy disks. Mm -hmm. And, um, and my desktop machine was a deck alpha. So we had like, you know, pretty nice computing equipment um, for other Unix. And then we also were, were doing a bunch of stuff with Linux. And then I, um, before I became a professional penetration tester, um, I cycled through changing jobs to systems administrator. Um, and I was taking care of the computers at the Genome Center. And then I moved over into the Department of Aeronautics and Astronautics at MIT. So taking care of pretty much all the computer systems. We were launching Mars rovers still um, back then in the late 90s, right? The mm -hmm. mid to late 90s. Yep. And and, um, and then I transitioned to a Linux developer. And I was, when I moved to San Francisco from the Boston area back in 1999, I was a professional Linux developer. I worked on system tools. So, um, so I have a lot of empathy for the people who write the code that may have bugs in it, right? And the people who have to secure, you know, uh, deployments, right? The systems administrators, the IT folks and everything, because I had those jobs. Yeah. And trust me, those jobs can be overwhelming and they can really suck. So I guess when I became a professional hacker, I was a little bit more empathetic in my approach because it wasn't, you know, I knew that no coder wakes up in the morning and is like, I would like to write a buffer overflow today because I would like my code to be broken, you know, um, by, by trivial and old techniques. Um, nobody, nobody sets out to do a bad job um, on that stuff. So having some empathy when I approached them and said, yeah, no, your baby's not ugly. It just, it's got some interesting features that we need to talk about, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, so it, so I heard you say something else that just caught it caught my interest too. Molecular biology. What what in the world drew you to molecular biology? Well, my mother was a biochemist, um, and she okay. actually became a fertility specialist. And she was from this tiny island just north of Guam. Got an academic scholarship to come study on the mainland because, as you know, Guam and the Northern Marianas are U.S. territory. So it's not like she you know, had to uh, immigrate into the United States. She was already a U.S. citizen, um, but she got a scholarship and that, you know, changed her life. It, it created me because she met my dad in Boston. My dad was Greek um, and um, she was from this tiny little island. And that's actually what I named my company for is the nickname of the island where my mom was born. Um, but that is why I'm, I'm a nerd is because of my mom. My dad was an artist. He was a um, artist and a businessman and um, he, he was a jeweler. So he would make and design jewelry. And um, I don't know that he can, you know, claim responsibility for my artistic expression, but perhaps, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, there, there's, there's a combination there. Sometimes the, uh, the, the people that are classified as weird um, or nerd, <laughs> 
you know, they, they had their own little inner artistic expression anyway, but, but, but maybe you got a little bit extra from it. You know, it's, <laughs> there, there's, there's no talent. There's no talent. I mean, did, have you done any other art, anything artistic outside of your color expression with the hair? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was a teenager, um, I did makeup for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So that explains so much about me, like everything that you need to know about my personal style. Um, no, I mean, uh, I, I'd say probably the most um, the most common thing that I do that is non-computer related is karaoke. Every for actually for a very brief time, the the Wikipedia page of of me had that I was known for computer security and karaoke and I was like yes the internet understands me and then somebody took it away because it lacked a reference and I'm like some news article needs to mention that I'm obsessed with karaoke and so that that can go back in with a proper news reference because seriously this is uh, history must remember that I am known for computer security and karaoke well what wasn't it uh what wasn't it last year before summer camp that uh, that I saw a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, planning going on over Twitter for a karaoke meetup. Yeah, except everyone expects me to like magically organize it. I'm super busy at summer camp. I mean, I don't, you know, that I know a lot of people are busy, but they're like, Katie, when is karaoke? Katie, when's karaoke? I'm like, I'm running a company. Like, what are you even? You know, if karaoke occurs near me, I will join it. But why are you? Why are you like? You know, I am not the MC of karaoke. I will show up in karaoke. <laughs> I will, I will karaoke will like spontaneously combust around me. That happens, you know, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not in charge. So yeah. Okay. Um, so, so that, that being said, what would be your, uh, your absolute go-to karaoke song? See, people ask that question too. These are, these are rookie karaoke questions. You see, you got to read the room. You got to know like, what's okay. the vibe? What's the mood? You know, who just sang a song that you normally would have sang? And then you got to, you know, you got to adjust. So I've actually got a Google Keep where I have, I'm not kidding you, probably hundreds of karaoke songs because I don't know about you, but even if you start the evening, perfectly stone cold sober by the end of karaoke you may or may not be as sober so you need a prompt you need a list and so i basically work from this list um but okay to answer your question if i were to to spontaneously karaoke right now i'd probably do crazy by Narls barkley okay okay yeah um because i'm right. reading the room and i feel i feel that vibe right now oh, oh, so, oh okay <laughs> let, let, let's let, let, let's dive off a little bit and um Let's let, let, let's just say uh, this the song was Sweet Caroline. Oh uh, no! What? No. Not at all. Not at all. Okay. I'm from Boston. No, no, oh, no. Okay. God, okay. I've been sick of that song since birth. Like, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, um, let's see. Let's see another song. Um, how about Stevie Wonder? Yeah, like Overjoyed, a little Overjoyed, or Superstitious. Yeah, sure. Or, 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 okay, so so Superstitious. What would the room have to be like to do Superstitious? You know, pretty much, oh, actually, uh, the karaoke room is not complete unless um, we have one of my favorite karaoke co-conspirators who dances a lot during karaoke. I cannot dance, but this guy can dance, and that is Alan Friedman uh, from the Commerce Department, from NTIA, and he is, he, if he's in the room, not only would Superstition be a great song choice because he would also dance, but he would probably like like inspire others to dance. I 
am not a dancer, so that would be a bad song choice for me. <laughs> okay, so uh, what, what about the end of the night and the room is just, it, the, the room is definitely um, uh, inebriated, and so are you. What's, what's the song choice there? Uh, again, it's mood. It's all about mood. You know, if people are, are on the boisterous side of that, you know, you, you can't really, uh, can't really lose with a little, you know, queen or, um, what do you call it? Uh, don't stop believing, you know, is okay. a good finale song, but if people are, you know, kind of somber and have like gone into the, the whiskey, you know, a bit and just, it's a brown liquor kind of vibe, right? Yeah. Then, you know, you might go, you might end on some ballads, right? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, this is like a large proportion of your 10 questions. So oh, maybe maybe we go back to something that's not karaoke related. Oh, no, no, no. Well, remember there's follow-up questions that, that can happen <laughs> that don't count. Um, t technically, technically, we're only on question number five. Right. Okay. Um, so that, it, it may, maybe I should call, start calling it Ten Topics Podcast. I don't know. Um, okay. So, question number six: um, What uh, and, and bacon is the most common answer. So that, that, that's that's not an allowed answer right now. Bacon is taken. What? Ba bacon is taken. So so outside of outside of bacon being the answer, what is your uh, go to breakfast whenever you need something more than a breakfast on uh, go or anything oh i don't i don't eat breakfast um you don't at all i have vitamins and uh coffee drink and i oh i haven't had any of those things yet oh god um yes it could get weird yeah no i have i take a series of vitamins so i take like some turmeric and some b vitamins with c and i take some collagen because i'm 45 and uh and then i um yeah i drink a I drink a ton of water so like this this guy i'm almost done with my first one of the day but i basically just drink a ton of water um i don't really like breakfast uh like I don't, I need to be up for a long time before my stomach is, is prepared to receive solid food. So that's, <laughs> that's just me. Okay. Okay. Then, then, then flip it to the end of the day. What, what's, what, what's just your absolute go-to food for dinner? Okay. Well, the quarantine is and the lockdown has changed life a lot, but um, I'd say, you know, like what I did last night was I just took a low carb, um, pita bread mm -hmm. and basically made it into my burger bun. So I had the, okay, bacon was involved, but it was a burger. There was bacon and um, some like rocket salad and stuff in there. And okay. there, that, that was it. Hey, so that, that, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll even dive into this question because I, because I inevitably I'm going to have to provide my answer to it. And I like seeing reactions to my answer. <laughs> Um, okay, S steak. You, you like steak, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. What is your preferred cook on a steak? Oh, yeah. Um, I would say rare or bleu. It depends, but pretty much like still mooing is preferred for me. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, and my answer has and always will be whenever you get somebody that can cook steak correctly, then well done is the perfect steak. <laughs> I'm like, oh. no, you know what? I mean, look, 
when when you're thinking like brisket and barbecue burnt ends are kind of the best part right so i can see like the wanting the caramelized version of a steak you know sort of that same vibe and like yeah sometimes you know it a little bit crispier and everything but um but yeah i mean if i I, I don't remember what restaurants were like, but if I went to a restaurant, I would probably just order it rare. Yeah, well, it, it's you know, you go go to something like Applebee's, and no, they don't know how to do it, and it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be charcoal if you order it well done. But, or uh, like it will rock like a little like a little boat on your plate. You uh huh. Know? <laughs> uh -huh yeah. Um, but it's but no, I mean there there are restaurants out there that you order it well done, it will come. There's no pink in there. It still it, it still is. Yeah, you know, I mean it, it's not as juicy as if it's still mooing granted but um you know it's still it's still moist it's not dry you know it well done can be a good cook if the person cooking does it right so well i don't know what i haven't tried um myself to do is a bunch of my friends are obsessed with sous vide and so i haven't tried the sous vide thing with the blowtorch at the end mm -hmm. i'm kind of interested in this kind of interested in that experiment yeah, last time I had the state conversation, um, I was uh, I was recording with Kingsman last week, and and he was talking about using uh, sous vide on that. So, uh, yeah, I've I have uh, not done that myself, so I I don't know how that would be. Um, would yeah, I'd be interested to try it too. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you can hear. Scappy is mad. He's like he's yelling that this is going. It's he's like, I'm not okay with this. You're not paying full <laughs> attention to me. <laughs> when he starts knocking things off the counter we know we're in trouble right oh, like yeah. we're in trouble with the old man he's yeah. like that's enough you come pay attention to me now <laughs> oh it, no it's it, it, speaking of uh it's, speaking of um flat earthers if you're listening to this cats totally blow your theory out of the water we would all be floating in space right now because cats would have knocked us off the earth okay this is so, true. so it's a fact um okay so Question number seven, um, are you more of a movies, TV person or reading books person? Ooh, uh, well, I kind of don't have time for either of those things. So when I squeeze little bits of time, um, I would say I'm prob probably more watching movies because the squeezing the little bits of time that I would have for that kind of activity, I kind of want to, to be a passive receiver as opposed to an active, you know, trying to read a book and, and concentrate on it. Um, I'm pretty like ADHD. So concentration um, is usually in micro slices until it's not. And mm -hmm. then it's very intense. Mm -hmm. But I have to, I have to basically meter out those intense periods for stuff when stuff I actually have to super get done. Yeah. Right. Um, in the olden days, when I didn't have a company to run and all these responsibilities, I would get into like an RPG hole. I would pick up an RPG and and get into the game and basically like I'm a completionist, right? So yeah. I will do every single side quest before I will move on to like the main quest, you know, next next thing because like it's just I don't know, it's just how I like to play games. But um but yeah, so that would be that would be what I would do if I didn't have all of this you know responsibilities to 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 handle okay okay um all right so question number eight um i don't know i i, I i've gone to do my questions on the fly these days and 
Sometimes I'm good. Sometimes I just draw a blank out of the middle of nowhere. Um, uh-huh. Okay. So let's, let, let's use this one. You know, we talked about uh, music in terms of uh, karaoke, but uh, one that's always uh, pretty interesting to know about is what was your favorite band during high school? Oh, high school. Um, that was an interesting transition period for me musically because I had not yet heard of punk rock. Okay. So you have to understand that this was with like a limited exposure to music in general and music genres, right? I just had, um, and also back then, remember, we didn't have music on the internet. That was not a thing. So you couldn't like explore other genres. So basically my older brother, who is my hero, right? Keep mentioning my brother. Um, he's six years older than me. And one, he got my musical education kickstarted at a very young age where he was like playing me, you know, Black Sabbath when I was like six years old. So, so, Good on you, big brother. So basically, I was pretty much a metalhead in high school, and this was before I had, you know, figured out. So I was part metalhead and, and part goth, and basically, it was like I liked The Cure and The Smiths, and also Black Sabbath, and you know, um, like Sepultura and stuff. And actually, when when I started my own band after high school, um, I started a punk band, and and basically, it was me with a uh, lead guitar and vocals and I had a bass player and we were looking for, and you know, she was another girl, another teenage girl with me and we were looking for a drummer. And so we put up signs in like the local music stores saying drummer wanted our influences include, you know, or we were saying girl drummer wanted no experience necessary. So we were absolutely using a quota on that one, <laughs> but it was our band. Right. And we just didn't want yet another dude drummer, you know, in our band. So we got to choose. And so we said, girl drummer, no experience necessary. Our, our influences include Blondie, Slayer, you know, and kind of like the, the list like went on very eclectically from there. But um, I remember years later talking to people who went to, you know, a, a bunch of the little independent music stores that were around Boston saying, I remember that sign. I was so mad that I wasn't a girl because I wanted to join your band. It sounded <laughs> awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, hey, yeah. But, but but you know what though? That just that, that just goes to the effect of hey, hey, it doesn't it doesn't matter, guy or girl. You know, there's there's just there's just some things that are cool about people, no matter what no matter what the case is. That's true. Yeah, and we never actually, you know, we never we never got an actual girl drummer to answer the ad. Um, sadly, I think that goes to the the whole point that we see in job applications where they've done studies and. Um, a male will apply for a job if he only meets about 60% of the written, you know, prerequisites mm-hmm. or whatever, whereas a woman will wait until she's at 100% or more and overqualified to, to yeah. apply. So even though we said no experience necessary, I think, I think we just, you know, we were just subject to the same kind of psychological whatever that, that stopped, you know, some girls from, from calling us up, which is too bad because we totally, we totally needed a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, all right. Question number nine. I have not pulled this one out in a while, but especially considering that, that you've got all the extra science background and everything and you're just super smart, made, and we'll see how this one goes. It's the phobia question. Uh, it's, uh, I, I've, I've got my trusty phobia list up in front of me and I'm going to pick three phobias out of there and just based off context clues, what you may or may not already know. I want to know if you had to have one of these phobias, which one 
would be the one that you would pick. Okay. And then, and then after you decide which one, then I will, uh, I, I will uh, lift the veil and we'll, we'll figure out what they all are. But what if I have all of them? <laughs> you know what? If you, if you have all of them, then that is what it is. You would be the first person that I've used this question on that has admitted it. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, all right. So we'll use uh, allurophobia. Um, antlophobia. And then... Mm, a mathophobia. Hmm. I don't know what any of those are, so it doesn't matter which one I pick, just that I probably wouldn't pick the last one because even though I'm pretty sure it doesn't actually share the Latin root with mathematics, I don't <laughs> fear mathematics. So, hmm. but yeah, I don't know. It's meaningless for me to pick one because I do not know what they mean. <laughs> okay. Um, allurophobia. Sphere of cats. Oh yeah, that wouldn't work out. Yeah, you no. you 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 don't have that one. <laughs> um, the antelophobia is fear of floods. Floods. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Maybe I mean there might be a cultural memory fear of floods. Actually, the um, so I told you I'm half Native Pacific Islander. My mom, you know, was mm -hmm. born on the island. Um, the name of our people is Chamorro, right? That's mm -hmm. the name of the culture, the ethnicity, the language. So C-H-A-M-O-R-R-O, -R -R -O, Chamorro. And so the ancient Chamorros actually built their homes on these tall um, stone pillars mm -hmm. called latte stones that are still um, you know, in historic sites on the islands. They built them in parallel rows and they built their homes on top. And the idea was, you know, not only was it defensive, like you could pull up the ladder you know, that, mm -hmm. that got to your house when you didn't want somebody coming over, um, but, you know, natural shade underneath and all that. But for flooding, um, it was it was natural, you know, flood protection because, you know, any kind of flooding would be un way underneath your house. So maybe yeah. I culturally have, uh, you know, some sort of genetic memory of a fear of flooding on that side. But other than that, no, I don't particularly find it to be a disturbing thought. Okay. No, it is, it, and, you, and you're talking about that, that reminds me of, uh, I, I spent a little bit of time in South Texas, and uh, the, the town that I lived in while I was down there, um, they had dealt with like two fairly, uh, fairly uh, um, hard floods, and, uh, and one side of town was against the river, um, but, right. it, but uh, after, after the second flood happened and, you know, especially the downtown area right there just got totally done in, um, you know, they, they had the Army Corps of Engineers actually digging out parts of the river and stuff like that to help. But they also passed this ordinance that said any new construction in town had to be like, uh, what I want to say is like three feet above the 500 year flood level. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the house that I ended up renting was on the other side of town from the river, the complete other side of town. Yet, it, it, but since it was being built new right before I started renting it, that house was up on like seven, eight foot uh, pylon. Um, so yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's something that, yeah, normally you would expect to see in flood prone areas is something built up like that because 
heck, you go all the way down to the coast, you know, Galveston, you know, a lot of those houses, you know, 10, 12, 15 feet in the air. Yeah. So, no, I mean, it makes sense if you're building near, near water that has that kind of variability. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And the, the last one, the amathophobia. You're correct. Nothing to do with mathematics. It's fear of dust. Dust. Yeah. <laughs> I can't be afraid of dust. Not in this house. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> oh, God. It, I mean, it, it's an older what, house, so it always gets no, in. No. Uh, I'm just going to say no. It's not that. No, it's really that. You know, uh, look, I was I was fortunate enough to have some help cleaning my house before the pandemic, mm -hmm. and I now pay that person to stay home um, because it's healthier for her and for me and my family. And so, no, I'm basically like ignoring. And what's even funnier about this is that um, the outside, the front front of our um, balconies and stuff in the front or porches mm -hmm. were uh were just uh cleaned like um what is it called pressure washed thank yeah. you they were just pressure washed right so we i had to bring all of like the stuff from my my front porch temporarily into my house and get this it was only in my house overnight i took a look and of course i see i'm not kidding you garden snail trails on my carpet that that is what i'm going to clean right after i get off this, oh. <laughs> get off this call because the the stuff is back outside now but they apparently explored my living room at night and the cat did nothing <laughs> he did nothing <laughs> like that, dark, that darn cat that cat and and so i mean i couldn't find any trace of them like i think they explored realized that nope it's just continues to be carpet and we will not find food here and we should probably go back to the potted plants but you know little garden snail trails on my living room carpet right now so if i were afraid of anything it would be how do i get snail the garden slime. snail slime <laughs> off my carpet in the pandemic right now which is literally what i'm about to go do That's <laughs> after this wow yep wow I, and I my cat I... will my cat will come and supervise he will be like what are you doing what's mm -hmm. what's what's going on mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. yep. oh the snails that i didn't bother when they were crawling around at night and i totally could have stopped them but no i did not <sighs> you know? oh yeah i I'm, I'm pretty sure my cats would probably do the same thing it's like oh yeah, no, okay, have fun, snail. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't know what you are, huh, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it, it, and on the opposite end of that, uh, so the had the front door open yesterday evening, and uh, the cat, there, there's a uh, uh, folding camping chair that sits out on the front uh, front porch that the cat loves to lay in. It's, you know, it's a nice, another little cat hammock. But it was windy last night, and from the side of the house, there's a there's this uh, uh, Walmart uh, plastic bag that just starts whoosh, just right past. And half a second after that bag goes past, my cat takes off from that chair twice as fast. I'm just like, okay, uh, let me see. Can I see where my cat went? <laughs> it's like an instantly disappearing cat. Oh yeah, yeah, and and for all those cats that uh that, that uh you know bring back uh, dead birds or whatever to mm -hmm. to the owners, my cat brings back dead plastic. Oh yeah, my cat also hunts plastic, but it's usually in relation to 
oh, this is the packaging for a piece of furniture that you are trying to assemble right now. Please allow me to sit on the, for the, the instructions. Oh, if you move them to where I cannot sit on them, please allow me to crinkle the plastic and try and chew on it to get your attention, like over here, the plastic wrapping and stuff. So yeah, he's, um, he likes to be involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think that, I think that's probably more cats than that. Um, okay, so we've hit the time for question 10. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this is basically my uh, standard ending question these days. Uh, what's both the best advice and separately the worst advice that you have ever received? Okay, so you're, you're not asking for the single advice that was both the best and worst. Right? No, no, se separately. One piece of advice that was the best and one piece that was the worst. Okay, well, um, uh, the best advice it took me probably 20 extra years to take it, which was start your own company. And my mentor, you know, one of my, one of my key mentors early in my career, um, Dr. Robert Bruin, Bob Bruin, um, the late Dr. Robert Bruin, he, um, he was my boss at the Genome Center and then became a colleague and friend at, for many, many years. And, um, he left us in 2014 of uh, cancer, but he was great in that one, you know, he was, he was very much, you know, seeing my potential, even in my sort of punk rock way of expressing it. Um, and he was, he basically said, you know, you're never going to be happy until you start your own company. And I was like, well, but I need to gain all these experiences first. I don't have, you know, I, I was, I was doing the thing that a lot of women do, which is saying, no, I have to be overqualified before I try that thing. Yeah. Right. And um, so that was the best advice I could have gotten. I, it just took me roughly 20 years to take it, you know, um, and I'm glad I did. And I encourage people without mortgages and children to support to definitely do that thing when they're a lot younger than, than I um, decided to take the plunge. Um, and then the worst advice, worst advice, you know, honestly, it's the worst has been the stuff that um, most of our industry are, you know, white dudes, right? And the worst advice has actually come from well-meaning white dudes who thought that their path translated to, you know, their way of, of becoming successful and all that stuff would translate to me and to my company and everything. And I can tell you, it's absolutely through the looking glass different, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it's not like they meant to give me bad advice. It's just that it just doesn't work. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, things like, oh, just do X, Y, and Z and, you know, all of the rest of it will magically fall into place for you. And I'm like, yeah, no, none of it actually does. None of, none of that, none of that works. Um, so sort of along those lines, it's not the one piece, but, but one that I find a, a lot of, you know, white males will say because it works for them and it doesn't work for, you know, marginalized people um, at all, which is stay humble and don't talk about your accomplishments like just be heads down and do the work and like magical things will happen that doesn't work for anybody who is like in an underrepresented group oh, like basically I, yeah. it, 
does not work at all, right? Um, it, it even doesn't work for people who are very, very young and in the majority group. Like if you are, you know, sort of intern age, you know, and kind of maybe high school, college, whatever, and you're trying to get recognized for, for your work, it's kind of like, if you just kind of stay humble that whole time, the intern who is really good at showing off their work is going to get offered the full-time job and you will be thanked for your internship and mm -hmm. just let go, right? So it's like, you know, that, that advice really, that's advice coming from privilege. And that's, you know, when I, when I didn't recognize that, oh, they're not giving you bad advice. They just have nothing that works in your context whatsoever. And you're going to have to figure it out because unfortunately, I don't, I, I haven't seen too many, um, you know, female soul founded companies in, in our industry at all, but in any industry. Um, so a lot of stuff just doesn't, doesn't work for me um, that would work for other people who who are playing with a very different version of the avatar in this game right mm -hmm. i'm playing not exactly playing on god mode that would be me as a black woman in the united states that would be me playing on the hardest mode possible but i'm playing on one of the harder modes you know um in, in this one um so that's it that's my answer yeah and and that that's that's absolutely the truth. Uh, you know, st stuff like that is why I find myself just, you know, I, I normally keep my mouth shut unless somebody asks me a question, but, but even at that, you know, being, uh, you know, you know, being somebody with uh, ADHD, OCD, being, uh, being autistic and everything, you know, it, I, you know, I, 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 I still, you know, check what privilege I'm not necessarily aware of, but, but but I'm also aware of what it's like to be on the other side of it. So I really try to keep my mouth shut unless I'm asked. But whenever I'm asked, I, I you know I really do my damnedest to try to say, okay, tell me more about what's going on. Tell me more about you. You know, so that way at least hopefully something I say, whatever I offer, whenever I am asked, is relevant. You know, because it, it's it's different for everybody. It it doesn't matter who you are. It's always different for everybody. Mm -hmm. so. It totally it totally is, and that's that's also true. You know, when people ask me um, for advice on how to get started in in the security industry, I'm like, I'm the worst person to ask because I got started so long ago. None of it applies now. You know, yeah. um, you know. So there's there there are greater opportunities in some ways, but the field is super crowded in other ways. And it might mm -hmm. be difficult for a person of talent to be recognized. So, you know, I, I don't have advice for people starting out today. I just, I'm kind of like, you know, stay curious and stay, stay agile with your approach because, um, you know, you might find, you might find a certain element of security is much more interesting to you, even though it doesn't get all the headlines. Oh, I, I, I Hey, I totally, I, I am one of those people. I, I am a compliance nerd and, you know, co compliance nerd, just like, really? Those exist? You know, is, is, so totally. the is a reaction I get a lot of times. Um, but it's, but yeah, you know, you know, people that do compliance and governance, they are totally on the under end of it. They are totally, uh, you know, ones that like, oh, we have to do this because, because the compliance people said so, uh, you know, I, so I, I get it, but, it, it it took me it, i i know for me it, it it took the first few years i was actually diving into uh into infosec um you know i was like well this or this or this or this but really where i dove in with compliance stuff is it is 
perfect for me already, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I've finally gotten myself to a point uh, to a point this year where I'm embracing that, and hopefully that's hopefully that turns into something bigger for myself in the long run. So I, I would totally say the same thing for everybody else too. Is you know look for what speaks to you. Yeah, I mean honestly, the the work that Luta Security does with customers. We organize around the two ISO standards that I'm a co-author and co-editor for. So talk about like compliance, um, you know, an anchor of compliance in the work that we do. Absolutely. But, you know, if you were to tell me, if you were to have told me, you know, 20 years ago that, by the way, you're going to co-author an ISO standard, (laughs) I would have been like, you are insane, right? (laughs) I, I would, I would find snails in my living room more likely than what you have just said to me, right? Like I would just absolutely laugh whoever that time traveler was out of the out of the window or out out of the world but um but the thing is you know working on those iso standards i was something i recognized was hey hackers don't follow international standards but companies do and they have to for certain reasons and if i'm going to make the world better for hackers i better get serious about providing this you know guidance in a form that is consumable by the the organizations that we want to change, right? And so it's like, all right, I'll translate what you should do from you know regular common tongue into ISO speak and edit this thing, you know, via committee over a series of years, in order to make it so that um, you know governments and large organizations can look at it and say, yep, international experts all agree we should do this. It's a standard now. We should do it. And and that's actually worked, right? The NIST cybersecurity framework 1.1 version actually has the ISO standards that I co-authored as a requirement now. If you're going to do business with the federal government, claim conformance, you know, and claim compliance with the NIST 1.1 cybersecurity standards, you've got to follow these ISO standards that that I co-authored mm-hmm. and co-edited. So I don't think there's any shame in that game. I think that, you know, I mean, yes, I am biased, but also it was the lever by which you could move the world. And I think that people who want to say, oh, it's because we hacked them and showed them, you know, what what could be done. I'm like, yeah, I was a hacker for seven long years professionally. And I can tell you, knowing is half the battle. Uh, It's more like knowing is one tenth of the battle. You can hack them under contract eight ways from Tuesday. You can even bug bounty them, you know, and all that stuff. But are they going to get better at this over time? No, unless they actually start following some written standards of how they're supposed to do this mm-hmm. in a sustainable way. So I'm, I'm with you, standards and compliance guy. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so that, that's, that, that's kind of the end of our tenth question, tenth topic right there. Um, cool. I, I, I'm going to give you a chance to, you know, if there's anything you want to plug right now or anything else you want to mention real quick. Yeah, um, Luta Security is hiring. Um, so it's contract to perm roles and it's uh, more information is at lutasecurity.com slash careers. And I was I was actually just looking at the listings up there. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 unfortunately, none of them are quite, uh, quite angled toward the stuff I do best. But uh, hey, I'll be keeping an eye in case you need somebody that does what I do. <laughs> Um, For sure. Keep an eye on that, on that page. And, and certainly, you know, we're, we'll be adding jobs as we go, but yeah, um, yeah. no, it's yeah. A, an exciting time. Yep. Hey, Katie, thank you for spending the time. Um, it, you know, this, uh, this, this will definitely go up into the uh, audio archives as well. Uh, this Sweet. has been a wonderful conversation. I have uh, enjoyed it and appreciated it. 
Um, and heck, I look forward to still look forward to the chance that we get an opportunity to talk again. Awesome! Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And um, my my furry co-host Scappy is, I'm sure, up to no good. And I'm gonna go chase him down and then clean, you know, snail garden snail slime from the uh, living room. All right, sounds good. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs>